Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. And on today's show, we have a very special guest. This is a first-time author, and when you pick up this book, which I'm sure you will, you're not going to believe it. You'll swear that Ted Flanagan, his book, Every Hidden Thing, you'll swear that he's been writing his whole life. It's a knockout book, and I'm very excited to talk to Ted about it. So why don't you and I get in the thriller zone? David, how are you? I'm so good, Ted. How are you, sir? Every day is a holiday. Every day is a holiday. <laughs> Why do I not believe that? <clears throat> well, Groundhog's Day is celebrated in many cultures, right? <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited to talk to you. I'm I'm not exactly sure why. I think because I've been so engrossed in your book. So thank you for joining the Thriller Zone. Oh, listen, man, it's it's all my pleasure. I love the show. Like, I, I can't believe I'm actually going to be on it. I'm, I'm pretty pumped, man. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about every hidden thing here, uh, as I do every time. I tease everybody that we're going to be talking about this, and we're going to get to it. I have plenty to say. But first, I want to get to know you, Ted, because, um, you know, it all starts with you. If, if I know a little bit about you and your background and kind of what makes you tick and what you're made of, it helps me understand better the creative spirit behind you. And do I need to do that? Maybe some other podcasts don't, but I do. I like to know who I'm talking to. I, I really like to get inside your head because you can learn so much, and especially this kind of a story where you represent a world I have zero knowledge about. So I'm fascinated. So if I start asking you some of the same questions that you're like, oh, geez, I've heard these so many times, please bear with me. Of course. Of course. No, no worries. It's a weird. So EMS is a, is a strange sort of unexplored profession. So um, I definitely understand, uh, you know, so unfamiliarity. That's probably a good thing. You haven't been in the back of a lot of ambulances. So that's a good thing. Do you know what? I have never been in an ambulance. I'm going to knock on wood for that, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen my mother carried into one. I've seen my siblings. But, uh, yeah, no, I've lived a charmed, healthy life. And I. Uh, <clears throat> it's this is a funny side note. Not seven minutes ago. I had some blood work done. They come to your house and they do it. I'm getting some kind of testing done. It's just kind of looking under the hood. Right, right. She starts opening these boxes. There's two, then there's four, then there's seven tubes. <laughs> okay, well, I'm I'm a wuss. I, I see a needle and I just, ah. Oh, yeah. So uh, daddy's arm, you know, got a little workout this morning and it wasn't lifting dumbbells. And seven tubes. My goodness. Well, listen, if you feel faint, let me know. We can, uh, <laughs> we can pause. I'm good with blood as long as it's not mine. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm see my own blood. You know, that's the only thing I can handle blood, just not my own. Yeah. And on top of it, I had to fast. So this is my first cup of coffee of the day. And I'm so happy right now. 
Is there anything better than that first meal after you're done with a fast for some medical tests? There's nothing better. I haven't had the meal yet. I'm going to get that as soon as we finish the show. <laughs> but but this right broke. here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so Ted, folks, uh, you're joining us and you are not familiar with Ted Flanagan. You will be by the end of the show. He's a paramedic. He's a former newspaper reporter. He served as the recon, as a recon Marine, a second recon battalion, which is another whole world. His writing has appeared in Shotgun Honey, uh, Mystery Tribune, uh, Cognoscenti, and his novel, Every Hidden Thing, which we're going to talk about, is uh, published by Crooked Lane Books, which I have um, recently learned more about. They're kind of a, is this true, kind of a small boutique publisher, but really kind of on the climb, right? Yeah, I think they describe themselves as sort of a boutique. You know, they focus a lot on crime and mystery and some cozy stuff. You know, I've been aware of them for a while. And then um, there's my editor in the book is a guy named uh, Ben Leroy, who uh, founded Tyrus in Bleak House, some crime imprints back in the 90s and early 2000s. And uh, he was a guy who I had actually uh, been an admirer of his because so many books he edited were coincidentally favorite books of mine, Jonathan Keller's Vice and Sea and uh, Matt Hefty's uh, hard, heavy thing. And um, so when uh, when Ben went to Crooked Lane, um, you know, I my agent immediately submitted the book to him because I just he uh, he's a great guy. He's a great editor. I, I couldn't have been any luckier uh, to publish with Crooked Lane and with Ben particularly. Um, and also Sarah Henry, who works with Ben pretty closely as well. Um, it's a small but with a lot of horsepower behind that behind that imprint. I get that. I, uh, I'm kind of a fan and a fanatic of a couple things. I'm a fanatic for book covers. You give me a good looking book cover and I'm, I'm all in. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I'm a closet artist. Um, and isn't it funny, Ted, you can spot a shitty book cover. Like when, when you see a, a homemade book cover, you can see it from a mile away and you're like, eh, isn't that funny? Well, you know, you can always tell, um, and no offense to any, everybody, we're all trying to do our very best, but um, you know, I, I used to do some ghostwriting for a company where you would show up and pay them a lot of money and they would, you know, they'd hook you up with me and I'd write your book for you. Then they'd hook you up with a marketing department and, a, and a cover designers. And the, <clears throat> the cover designers at this company had all worked for big five publishing houses, well, now big four. And so I learned a lot about cover design. And after talking to them, I can never unsee a bad cover anymore. So it's, it's exactly like you say the, you know, using stock photos, stock imagery. And, and it's, you know, if you see the same, you know, piece of a cover in eight different covers, it, yeah, I, <clears throat> I think I'm supposed to say um, the writing is all that matters. But if I, if I own a bookstore and I'm browsing a hundred books, I, a covers matter to me. I, be that as it may, you know, whether that's a, a sign of uh, inadequacy in me or, or just a natural human reaction, a good cover is uh, super important, I think. I think it's a natural human reaction. And uh, the form, you know, the old saying, don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, I disagree. You do have to judge a book by its Yeah. And, and I think about, I have sitting in front of me, I won't spin the camera around. I have about 45, 50 maybe 60 books stacked on the floor. The reason I'm not going to show you is because it's a mess, but uh, 40% of 40 of those 50, the covers are so tight, so dead on that you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll read that book probably because of the cover. Anyway, don't want to belabor that point. Just wanted to say that this uh, every hidden thing is a fantastic cover and uh, anything that makes you go, Oh, that's an, 
and oh and then there's and then you discover a little more things going on there yeah, I like they it. did an amazing job i couldn't yeah. been, i mean they didn't have to give me any input into the cover and and i was fortunate enough that they said they sent me different versions of it and um that cover just really i felt like they really captured if you can in a cover sort of the spirit of the book they really nailed it i think yeah 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 okay so let's talk about paramedic because your job your current full-time job right correct yeah yep. you're your, so your full-time job feeds uh, one of the main characters in this book. And God, I got a, I, I got a profound respect for what you do. I, I kind of respect, I respected what you did before. I'm like, man, yeah, that's important. But when you, when you read what you guys go through on any given day, I'm like, wow, you really get to see what's scraped off the bottom of the shoe of society sometimes, don't you? You know, I've, I've tried to leave EMS and I, I don't think that's any, uh, anybody who's done the job for a long time is always trying to do something else because it's, it's, it, it wear on you. But I keep coming back to it. Um, I, cause I genuinely still love treating sick patients. I still love almost all the job. Um, you know, it's, it's tiring. The pay is, I mean, the pay is okay, but you got to work 70, 80 hours a week to make decent pay. Um, but I, I was talking to uh, my friend, John Vircher, a novelist. Um, he's got, wrote this amazing book, Three Fifths. He's got a great book coming out in the summer. I uh, love the guy. One of my best friends in the world. And, um, you know, I, I sort of recently um, kind of stopped trying to leave EMS because I realized at a certain point, it's kind of my muse in the sense that I meet people. And, and, and the more I try to get into teaching and away from doing the work on an ambulance where I was working, wasn't working maybe 70 hours anymore in the ambulance. My writing suffered because these, these people I meet, I may not write about EMS calls. I try very hard not to become like the paramedic <laughs> writer. Um, but I meet people I would never meet in a million years. You know, I've met uh, the poorest of the poor and I've met, you know, the CEOs of fortune 100 companies and, um, and everything in between and people from all religions and, walks of life and i always tell when i have paramedic students i tell them like the awesome thing about this job and i say awesome the old-fashioned sense of the word the big responsibility job is you'll walk into a bedroom and someone you just met will tell you secrets they wouldn't tell their spouse and you are privileged and to, to people are honest with you in a way they're usually never honest with themselves but if someone thinks they're having a heart attack all the edifice that we construct around ourselves goes away and people are brutally honest about you name it and um and so if you're paying attention uh filing away in the back of your mind yeah, you have work to do up front but if i i'm an inveterate note taker so after calls i'll be scribbling stuff down it has nothing to do with the call but about the, the character and so it, it's i i think i'd be hard pressed to find a job where i get to meet so many people from all walks of life and have honest conversations with them about things you know um so it's it's an incredible profession for a writer i think well my hat's off to you i i and by the way thank you for your service which i want to make sure i say anybody who served uh, in the military is uh is just heads and shoulders in my mind uh above everybody so thank you i, I appreciate that I, yeah. i'll be honest with you, i owe more to the marine corps than they than i you know gave to them for sure you know just I was young and lost and sort of lacking some direction in life. And, and um, you know, I, I think you could tell by looking at me, I'm not like people don't see me walking down the street and automatically go, that's a Marine. Cause I don't, you know, but I, 
boy, I'll tell you the, the little, the little disciplines in life that you learn and just, um, you know, how to initiative and how to take, you know, ownership of things. Um, you know, that was, I learned a lot of that little stuff. Yeah. Well, let's not minimize uh, by using the phrase little stuff because I did a little research <clears throat> because I'm a fanatic for this kind of stuff. So I get into Wikipedia land if you've ever visited there. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I come to find out that there is um, the United States Marine Corps is a unique branch of the military. I'm reading this here. That's extremely elite and fierce. But within the Marines, this is where I'm going lies a special MOS that's even more elite and fearsome. It's the MOS 321, which tells me two things. One, you're in a true brand of specialized brothers. And number two, now I know where your Instagram name comes from. Right, right, right. <laughs> but what, what does MOS stand for? Just give me some. Military Occupational Specialty. Okay. And uh, actually, when I was in the Marine Corps, recon was what was called a B-bill. couldn't be your main job. You couldn't sign a contract to... To go to recon, you had to go to an infantry field and then try out for recon. So officially, I'm an 0341, which is a mortarman. I fired a mortar twice in my life in infantry school, and then I went right from infantry school to um, our version of the Navy SEALs have buds. The version of buds when I was in recon was called uh, amphibious reconnaissance school. It's now called basic reconnaissance course, and it's out on the west coast. When I went, it was up in uh, up in, in Norfolk uh, or uh, up near Little Creek. So, oh yeah, uh, you know, I tell people all the time, like I was not, there were plenty of guys that tried out for the unit that were stronger, bigger, tougher, braver, but the reality is, um, and this is, it applies wholeheartedly to writing because there are, I know plenty of people that are better writers than me that I, I could name 20 of them right now that did have not published yet. And it's all just about, uh, you know, not quitting being willing, like they could try to drown me run me to death, PT me, scream at me, but whatever they want to do, I wasn't ever going to quit. They could kick me out, but I was, I was going to drown before I, I quit. And that was the only difference. There's a lot of tough guys that they couldn't get through it because they, they quit, you know? And so I'm nothing special physically, but I'm, I'm stubborn and, uh, you know, keep stick. I stick with things. Well, folks, uh, you're going to get to know Ted throughout the re remainder of this podcast. And here's one thing, uh, still reading some of my notes here. Uh, these Marines are trained in elite fighting tech, uh, tactics, tactical weapons. They're the go-to for many top secret missions in various countries around the world. Here's what it requires. Hard work, discipline, and I want to put this in a t-shirt, an unmatched willpower to succeed. And that, my friend is exactly as you just said is exactly what you need to be a writer you have to have an unmatched willpower to succeed and say you know you can mr agent you can say no you can say no sally agent you can say no but i'm gonna keep going until somebody says yeah so true i have a really sophisticated way to deal with rejection and we all get rejected right and it was eye-opening to me uh, to meet you know best-selling published writers that will say they still get rejected even though they've had bestsellers. But my, my really complicated method is uh, I get the rejection. I go, okay, delete, move on. I don't, I don't stick it to the wall. I don't keep it with me. It's gone. You, when it's rejected, I just move on. Um, yeah. You don't need everybody to say yes. You just need one person. All right. I, I, I got so many questions, but I want to get through, I, I like to do things in a certain kind of order. And, and I have to know this because I'm um, what's it called? I'm a, 
I, uh, I'm one of those guys that I just gotta, I, I gotta know stuff. What is the most bizarre thing you've ever run across on a call? And if you feel uncomfortable answering that, then tell me, but you don't impress me as being a guy about uncomfortable about much at all. I'll tell you exactly what it is. And, and people don't really understand. It's one of the characters in my book. There's a character named LD. He's based on a real guy who was called LB, um, who was when sober, um, the most gentlemanly guy you'd ever want to meet, but had a really tough time with, with alcohol. So one morning I'm working uh, for the EMS for the city of Worcester, Worcester EMS with my working with my good friend, Paul Gomes. It's Christmas Eve, technically. Uh, it's like, so like three o'clock Christmas morning. It's one of these weird uh, Massachusetts Christmases where it's, it's warm and it's humid. So it's this, uh, the street where parked at this T intersection and it's shrouded in fog. We're underneath like a sodium light, you know, ready to take a left. It's like three in the morning. We're exhausted. And out of the fog on one end emerges this guy. And it's LB. He's wearing like uh, khaki pants, no shirt, no shoes. He's carrying a frozen turkey under his arm. He walks in front of the ambulance, he turns to us, he waves, and then he disappears into the fog on the other side of the street. And I remember sitting there for a minute afterwards, and I looked at Paul, like, did we just see LB with a turkey? He was like, I, I think we did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> till this day, I can't explain it. I, I don't I don't know, you know, um, why that part of the city, that time of the morning, no shirt, but a turkey. And I love it. I love it. Not everybody can tell that story. Now, uh, one more thing, because I, I, you know, I just got to dive into the dark side. Have you ever been to an accident that had you saying by the end of it, nah, I think I need to pack it in now after what I just saw? It's funny you say that. I firmly believe every paramedic and EMT has that one call that's out there, that if they were on, that would be it for them. Um, I've come close. Um, I had a nine-year-old boy uh, that lost his legs in a in a car accident as we, I was working in the flight medic at the time. And on the way to the hospital, he just kept asking me if he was going to make it to hockey practice that night. Um, that was pretty awful. The call that I know would have ended my career. I was not on, thank goodness. Um, it was up um, on this interstate in Massachusetts. This aunt had taken her niece and nephew out to a amusement park. And on the way back, she, she had some kind of psychotic break, stripped them, everybody naked and ran out of the highway and all three were killed by passing traffic. And I know medics that were on that call. And I think that for me, I think that would have been it. You know, so I, I definitely think every time you get out there, like everybody has that one call that could do yeah. it to them. Yeah. Okay. Well, one more question, then we'll move off of that. I just, it's my, I'm perverted somewhere. What had more <laughs> stress for you? Do you think working uh, stress and fear, maybe working uh, as an EMT or <laughs> as a recon Marine. Is that an Oh, I think I'm older. So being a paramedic is, is stressful because I see a little bit of life when you're young, when you're 19 years old and traveling the world with a bunch of other 19 year olds and you're, you're in the peak physical fitness of your life and you're jumping on planes and you're shooting, you feel invincible. Um, so it was none of it was stress um, because I was just, really didn't know any better. Like, ah, you know, um, as I get older and you realize how tenuous sort of our existence on this planet can be and how, um, you know, most, I, I say this a lot, you know, a lot of my patients that maybe, um, you know, when you go to cardiac arrest or you go to a bad traumatic call, like nobody walked out of their house that morning expecting to die. 
And so every day is a blessing. You know, you got you got to put it to use because we're no one is guaranteed this afternoon. Forget tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so you know, to me, um, I don't ever get stressed. I, I think at this point, um, I, it's not that I've seen it all, but I've been doing this long enough that I I know I have skills to sort of figure out how to at least when I don't know what I'm doing, at least to manage it to get the person to the people who do. I, I've I've got enough of that down. So there's. Um, I don't want to deliver any more babies. I've delivered six, no more babies. Um, that's really it. And, and at this point, I just don't want to be pooped on anymore. If I can avoid it, that's a big <laughs> plus for me. You know? And I want to get off shift on time. I've really narrowed my career goals down to those two things. Uh, and yeah, anything else is bonus, but as long as I don't get pooped on and I get out on time, that's the win. That shift was a win. There's a scene in the book, um, where this guy is um, <clears throat> has been drinking a little bit too much, and as they're carrying him down the steps, or and he just hurls all over the two uh, techs, and I just thought there's little worse than that uh, that I can. So of all the calls in this in the book, uh, I wasn't on any of them. I, I borrowed most of them are based on real calls I heard from other people. There's one call in the book I was on. That was the call. It was, and it sort of happened as depicted in the book. My partner and I, and he's my partner to this day, uh, we went to a, a, we thought we were going to uh, the opera house in downtown Worcester because we were working for a private ambulance company at the time. We were brand new EMTs. We didn't know the city all that well. And we pull up to what turned out to be a, a porno theater. They wouldn't turn the movie off. They wouldn't turn the lights on. We found a naked guy unconscious in a pile of vomit. Uh, we Carried him down the stairs. He woke up. It turns out he was a prisoner who gotten out and just got drunk and went to the theater. And as we're going on this narrow stairway, I'm back and my partner, Scott, is at the guy's feet and he just projectile vomits over and over and over. And um, it's as awful as you think. Yeah, um, I, I, I do remember that now uh, in the theater. I just gotten out of prison. Okay, we won't belabor that for those who are, might be uh, having a meal about now. But uh, thank you for that. Um, all right. Now I have to say this. Do you remember I sent you a note? What's today? Tuesday. I sent you a note, I think over the weekend. And I think I only said one line, something like, dude, you can write. Did I say something like that? You made my weekend. Absolutely. No, you, I, I, I showed it to my wife and I'll be like, oh, this is awesome. So no, thank you. Well, I know that I have a tendency toward hyperbole probably, um, uh, I think because I've been a radio guy for my whole life and you have to make some things bigger than they are for entertainment value. I read a lot of books. I know really quickly if a book's going to hold me. This friggin' thing, every hidden thing, this this book, I don't know what it is. It, it just grabbed me and would not let go. This is one of the best books I have read in a long time. And I, oh, I, I kept saying to myself, why? Why is it so good? Um, you have such a command of the English language. You have such a, an incredible way to set a scene. It's not just, Hey, the sun settings, a rose, rosy colored glow over the city and the steam from the road rose. No, you paint a picture that I found myself and I, I often take notes and I'll put little sticky notes in there and I'll go, Oh my God, look at this sentence, babe, come here a second. I'll say to my wife, Tammy, Tammy, listen to this sentence. And she'll just stop and she'll like, wow, that's how geeked out I get about craftsmanship. So go ahead and let that sink in. I got more to say. I'm, uh, I'm basking in it. Thank you. Um, but 
there is no way on the planet that this is your first book. There's no way. It's the first book I've finished and attempted to have published. Um, I mean, I've been writing my whole life. I think, um, you know, I grew up in a house with full of English majors. Uh, my mother was a newspaper nut. My father loved, he constantly read, surrounded by books my whole life. And I've been writing my whole life. It's just, it wasn't until I was you know, in my early 40s that I really decided, you know, I wanted to try and publish. I always wrote for myself, never submitted anywhere, uh, probably thankfully. Um, it was just kind of um, learning learning the craft. And um, it just it sort of accelerated. I ended up going in, uh, in 2013, I joined an MFA program, the Mountain View MFA and I was, I know the big debate, MFA, no MFA, everybody's right. MFAs are wonderful. You absolutely don't need it. Um, for me, it made sense. You know, I didn't go into a lot of debt, number one, to do it. And number two, I just, I wanted to accelerate my learning. I knew if I kept working, eventually I could, I could learn everything I learned in the MFA program. But what I couldn't get was I met uh, people whose sole job was writer. I met, you know, I worked with Leslie Jameson and Wiley Cash and met these incredible people. And they were so generous with their time and their specialty, their expertise. I met guys like, you know, John Vircher, who's, you know, he remains one of my best friends. Thought I, for the first time, I was around a group of people that didn't ask me, where are you from? What do you do for a living? They would ask you, what are you writing? What are you working on? And so, um, I, I fully understand, you know, you don't need MFA. Uh, you know, some of my favorite writers, Jonathan Evison, guys like that don't have MFA. You don't need it. But for me, I wanted it. And, and it really accelerated my learning curve. Um, I, I've always loved craft books as well. And listening to people, writers I respect talk about how they got there. So I'm always sort of thinking about it. Um, so it's, it is my first novel. But yeah, I, th I think that would be unfair to say it's not my first writing. It's just the first time I tried to get something published okay um, two things i want you to walk away here remembering uh it's probably go it's going to be a highlight for you I, I hope in some form or fashion one is this and i told this to my wife and she knows because she sees me i i'm up at anywhere between 4 30 and 5 and i will read for an hour or two before i start my writing before i start the podcast preparation before i start my day and you, you got, it's got to be something good. If you, if I'm going to be reading at four thirty five o'clock, you know, it coming, come on. Right. <laughs> but here's the one thing I want you to walk away uh, hearing from David, not the host of a podcast. And, and I, I mean this, you make me want to be a better writer. Oh, geez. Well, thank you. When I read this, I said, I want to be able to write like that guy. I mean, I can't put it any more powerfully than that because. Yeah, dude, I can't. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, mean, I definitely have people I feel that way about as well. You know, so I thank you so much. I, I you know, I'm not so yeah. great with comments because, you know, like I have that, like every writer that's sort of like, you know, you don't know if it's good or not. So I, I that is, uh, well, yeah, you made my day. Thank well, you very much. There are there are guys out there that I want to that I want to emulate. Like Don Winslow's kind of like my hero. I just I love everything he writes. I I can't get enough of it. We've been able to wonderfully enough strike up a friendship. Oh great! Yeah, and every once in a while though, I run across something. I'm like, man, I I want to be able to craft a sentence like that guy because and then and this is and I'm not I'm not being bullshitting here. Then I'll go back and I'll look at some of my stuff and I'm like. Pfft. 
I got to rework that. It's got to be more interesting than that. So anyway, um, there you go. <laughs> That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing is I've completely forgotten, but it'll come back to me. Um, well, I, I, I know what it is. Um, I can't believe that this is your first book, but now that I understand that you got the MFA, you can tell that you have had a substantial bit of education because of the way that you structure uh, scenes and sentences. It's not just pretty words and, you know, pretty florally words. It's it's the way you craft them. So anyway, um, I cannot wait for number two. And if number two sucks, I'm going to be really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pressure's on now, man. Holy cow. <laughs> well, I'll be disappointed too, believe me. Uh, and, and I got to ask, and I know this, this came out uh, last year. I usually put a date in here when it came. I want to say, if it's October. October. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. October yeah. 12th when's when's the next one well so i'm i'm in the middle of a book um that's more of historical fiction than crime fiction uh so there was um when you go to paris island one of the things you hear about marine corps boot camp is this incident from the 1950s where six recruits were marched into a swamp and died the ribbon creek incident and um i live in this little town in central massachusetts and every time i i drive by my house uh, I leave my house, I go by this big brick colonial. And the way that connects is the drill instructor that drowned these recruits by accident. Um, they had a huge trial, Chesty Polar, the patron saint of the Marine Corps actually came and testified on the drill instructor's behalf. He beat the charges, stayed in the Marine Corps for three more years. He got out on a medical disability, but I think he, if you know anything about the rest of his life, I think he was just heartbroken. He never intended to kill anybody. He was not a brutal guy. And he got the Marine Corps and retired to the Brick Colonial uh, right by my house. So every time I drive by the house, I think of this guy. And then I've been able to meet people in town that knew who he was. And he's a really interesting guy. And at the same time during the pandemic, um, I don't know if you've read any David Peace. Um, David Peace, James Elroy, probably my favorite living writers in the English language. And uh, David Peace, a British guy. And he wrote this incredible series about these crimes that took place in uh, occupation era Tokyo. And um, he had one of his, one of his influences was um, the story by uh, Kurogawa called Rashomon. And then uh, I forget the name of the, in the garden in the, I forget the name of the second story, but it it's basically tells the story of the death of a samurai through 17 different viewpoints, including the dead samurai. And so I've been, I read that, um, the Akutagawa collection during the pandemic, and I'm reading lots of peace, and I'm thinking about this story. So I'm writing, uh, I'm about 30,000 words in, so we'll see. But uh, the story about the, the Ribbon Creek incident told from the viewpoints of, uh, you know, varying viewpoints, including dead recruits and some other folks. And uh, I'm really I'm really enjoying it. So I don't know if it'll get published, but I know I'm having fun writing it. Um, so I'll get that going. All right, folks, now listen to that statement. I don't know if it's going to get published, but I'm having fun writing it. And that is a true blue writer. That's a guy who goes, yeah, this is what I want to do. That's I it. love that. <clears throat> By the way, uh, since you dropped that name, <laughs> on the top of the back <coughs> of the book, this is a righteous, hard-charging, bell-ringing mother blanker debut novel by, oh, James Elroy. Yeah, yeah. Wow. If we had never sold this novel, that blurb would have made every minute I spent on this book more than worth it. More than worth it. My agent um, worked at uh, Sobel Weber back when, uh, and so she knew James Delroy through there. And so she just sent him the book 
Um, and, and he gave us incredible blurb. And the, the best part is the blurb is really long. And at one point he described, he says, I'm the, I'm the bastard child he had with a Bengal tigress, which I want to tattoo that on my chest, I think. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the whole process um, was having James Elroy say those things about my book. Um, yeah. And he's, yeah, he's no lightweight hitter either. I mean, and, and then the very next, I love this, the very next quote, and then I'm going to get off this, combines the best of James Elroy's noir cityscapes with the narrative impulses of Dennis Lehane. Flanagan is a powerful and undeniably gifted writer, and his debut novel proves that this is by Wiley Cash, New York Times bestselling author. Yeah, Dude, I mean, yeah, I mean, come on. You got you got four heavy hitters, four great quotes, first time out. Uh, wow. I don't want to belabor. I don't want to use this sentence too many times, but geez, I want to be you. Yeah. You have better hair though, Dave. You don't want my hair. <laughs> I think one of my questions was going to be, and because this is a standalone, this is clearly not a, a series. So it's a two part question. Number one, will all your books, as far as you know, be standalones? And number two, which is the perfect lead into that is, do you have a series in your head? I know agents love series because you kind of build this world and you keep filling it. You know, never, never say never. Um, but I, I, I don't envision writing a series. I, as a reader, I tend to gravitate towards standalones. I, I don't have a good reason for that. Um, I think, you know, as a writer though, I always want to try different things. I don't want to you know, do that, which of course, as a huge admirer of the Charles Wolford, you know, Hope Mosley novels and other, all, a guy who loves all kinds of series novels as a, as a reader, I do like them, but as a writer, um, I think I, I, I have too many different forms I want to try and things I want to experiment with. Um, I don't have a series plan, but what I, what I think I might do would be sort of like, um, well, sort of like what, what Elroy does. I know he does quartets in which some major characters from one book will play a minor role in the next book. I could see these characters making appearances, but like, I don't see a Thomas Archer, you know, a book four in the Thomas Archer series. I think he's kind of said everything he can say in that one book. And now he's sort of living his life. I I'm fascinated. Actually, the one I, uh, when I, I've had this question before and the, the one character, I think if I were to write another book about a character in this book it was Lou McCarthy, the, uh, yeah. the reporter, um, yeah. I could see writing about her again. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think I definitely want to write about Worcester again. I'd kind of like to do for Worcester what, you know, Jim, uh, William Kennedy did for Albany. You know, like write about these cities that aren't, it's not Boston, it's not New York City, but it's a city that has a million stories. I mean, Worcester is an incredible, talk about a fertile ground for a crime, for crime fiction or for noir, um, you know, or any really any kind of uh, fictional mode. You know, Worcester is a great, it's, uh, it's a city with a, an interesting history all its own but a huge chip on its shoulder because it comes in second place to boston all the time yeah. feel it acutely and so um but it's where all my relatives on my father's side came over from ireland in the, the late 19th century and then we lived in a triple decker in worcester and um then the family sort of spread out like a lot of irish families did to the suburbs and uh, so i feel both that history acutely but also like i'm not part of it yeah you know I'm really jealous of my buddies. I have guys I play hockey with that are like one of seven brothers that grew up in Maine South to a huge Irish clan in Worcester. I am so jealous of those guys um, that have that history. Um, so I, I see writing about Worcester again, for sure. I just yeah. don't know what characters will pop up. 
couple things. I love this Thomas Archer character. Uh, you really thought that he was just a loser bad guy, and in the end, it kind of feels a little bit differently. And uh, Lou McCarthy, she was, uh, she was wonderful, and you thought you had her pegged as a character until th- this move that she makes at the end, and you go, wow, there's goodness there. <clears throat> anyway, folks, you got to read this book. Um, I do want to ask... Um, and actually, I want to go back to something. I like the I like the way you said that because I'm with you, Ted. I have this. Uh, I have a couple of characters in my head that uh, have been with me for a while, and I did a, a couple of short series together. None of these are published by you know the big boys like you. They're all self published. But what I like. Is, the upside is you create the world and then you just put them in a new world. So that's kind of cool. The downside is I'm with you. I, there's so much I want to experience. And so I have so many different stories in my head at any given time that I'm like, why would I just keep doing a series when there's so many different? So I'm on the fence about that. Um, and maybe you'll just be, maybe you'll just run into an opportunity where your agents is, Ted, I think we're you've got a great idea here for a series, and then it'll be decided for you. I'm open to any, you know, that's the thing. I'm open to anything. Like, I'm really not closed off to any idea. I've said it. I'm going to say it again. Is that It's just hard to believe that this is your first book. I, it, and it just makes me, I cannot wait. Please let me be one of the first people that read your next book. Would you do that for uh, you me? You got it. Yeah. That's a deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you've heard this show before, you've probably heard this little thing I do, rapid fire questions. Yep, absolutely. Then you you know you're ready for it, don't you? Well, we'll see. I, I'm going to give it a shot. Rapid fire question number one for Ted Flanagan. You've just been called out to a horrific accident, Ted. I'm sorry to say. It's terrible. However, as you arrive, you only have one tool to help save lives. Only one tool. You're reaching your bag. Oh my gosh, there's only one tool. It's weird. I don't know how it happened, but what is that one tool and why'd you pick that one? Tourniquet. Tourniquet. Because uh, stop bleeding is the, you you know, you want to keep people's hearts pumping, keep the blood inside the body, not outside the body. And if I need to breathe for them, God forbid, I, I have tools for that, but I also, I don't do mouth to mouth, but if needed, I could have, uh, but don't, nobody should do mouth to mouth. Uh, but I, uh, eternity, yeah, stop bleeding, control the bleeding. That's the, for a big traumatic incident, that's, that's the one I would choose. All right, folks, your EMT spoken. Question number two, you've just pulled four weeks of straight 14 plus hour days, probably something you know pretty well. That's the bad news. The good news is you and your wife just won an all expense paid trip to an exotic island. It can be anywhere in the world. Where is it and why? Um, boy, I, Mallorca in the Mediterranean. Nice. Just, I love the Mediterranean. I love everything about the Mediterranean. When I was in the Marines, I spent uh, a year floating around the Mediterranean on an aircraft carrier of all things um, and loved Greece and, um, you know, Italy. And, uh, but I go to Mallorca. Beautiful. And I think that's where there's one of my favorite writers, a guy, Tim Baker, wrote uh, The City Without Stars. Uh, incredible book. Um, I think he lives there or he lives out there anywhere near there anyway. Um, but yeah, so I, I eat piece of cake, dude, I've got to, I need the producer for this to be a write down all the books that you've mentioned. I got some reading to do. 
All right, now number three, question number three leads off of number two. All right, so, so the good news is you've picked that island and you're there. Here's the bad news. A hurricane just blew through, leaving you with no electricity. What's the one tool you're glad you thought ahead and packed in your carry-on and why? Solar panels. Huh? Solar panels, little travel solar panels. Like I, can, I could charge everything in my, in my little USB-powered fan that I thought to bring. In the Oh, yeah, piece of cake. Oh, my God. Were you a Boy Scout, too? Well, listen, I know about packing lightweight creature comforts. Um, you know, you learn you learn a lot when you you know, travel light, freeze at night, but you learn how to do little things like uh, I, I used to buy bring a little white gas stove and and uh, little cans of ravioli and everybody else be eating MREs. I'd be making little. Oh, yeah, I had it down with science. So that was the bad news. Question number four. Here's the good news. <laughs> the electricity has come back on fresh water and food has arrived along with two people to serve you they both happen to be people you've always wanted to meet in person and they've just shown up here on the island who are they and why oh boy um sebastian vettel is a formula one driver uh, i'm a huge formula one fan and he seems like a, a really funny fun guy to have around for sure and then um probably uh, the writer jonathan evison because he makes his whole persona is like he loves to hang out, talk, and drink beer. So uh, I think those two would be right at the top of my list. That's awesome. Ted, <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> and really, at the end of the day, is there anything a good cold beer doesn't solve? Very few problems. Very yeah. few problems. That Homer Simpson said beer, the cause of and solutions to all life's problems. You know, yeah. Don't overindulge. Everything in moderation, but absolutely. All right, before we wrap, I do want to ask you, if you if you had a chance to sit down, this isn't a rapid fire, but if you had a chance to sit down and speak to a room full of kids growing up or uh, college kids trying to figure out what they want to do with their life or just a room full of people who really love your books and they are predominantly writers themselves, what kind of advice would you give uh, a writer who maybe hasn't had the success you've had so far. Maybe they're thinking about doing this as a career. They're even thinking about maybe quitting their day job or at least pushing it off to the side. But you got one good succinct piece of advice you'd share? I honestly would convince them to have a job that gets them out in the world, that introduces them to people because the writers, I mean, the main coin of the realm for a writer are the characters you create is the character the career the characters you create are the coin of the realm right and so i don't under i'm actually always amazed by people that go right from high school to the academy to working in the academy and then they write novels and then those novels tend to be about lonely professors right so i i don't know how you write if you're not in the world in some capacity or talking to people getting to know people so um like, like podcasts i think you meet all sorts of people. You're talking, you're firing your brain all the time. Uh, EMS, like I said earlier, I think it's my muse. I, that's where I meet people. They end up in my books and my stories, but they're not um, not because of whatever has happened to them, but for who they are. So like, I, I definitely recommend people have a job. Leslie Jameson pointed this out once. Um, she's this incredible essayist and, and writer. But she used to say that she didn't, she loved when people wrote about people with jobs people with professions because like in the real world, we all go do something like, um, yeah, I wish I was, um, that all, I mean, I would love to just write, sit in my little office in my house all day and write, 
but I do appreciate the fact that I get out and I, I have a job that also fires up another part of my brain. And, you know, I have some expertise in other stuff other than just writing. I think it, it all informs the writing. And so I would suggest them don't be so fast to jettison the idea of a day job um, right off the bat. Like, go do something for a few years. You know, the yeah. writing, you can write your whole life, but I think your writing's going to be better if you're living as well, I think. Your writing's going to be better if you're living as well. That's a great line. Well, folks, if you'd like to learn more about my new friend, Ted Flanagan, go to tedflanagan1inthemiddle.com, as you'll see on the screen. Follow Ted on Twitter, as I do, at TedEMTP. And Instagram, stalk him there, I do, everyone should, at Ted underscore Flanagan underscore 0321, which we've learned what that means. It's pretty clear when I got my social accounts, I didn't think out my handle very well. I just... <laughs> should <laughs> this a little easier to remember well and here that is a that's a really great point because sometimes when we're starting out we're just like wanting to be clever but as you start building the fan base and audience and friendships and so forth you go oh why didn't i come up with something better but you know what you can always change it ted this was totally awesome and man you're a mad talent Oh, thanks. Thanks, Dave. This has been as great as I knew it would be. I saw, you know, when I saw you, when I first started following your podcast, I'm like, I got to be on that. I got to, I got to talk to this guy. So thank you, man. Uh, the, the pleasure's all mine. hundred percent. Well, mission accomplished. And you know, you're one of those guys that I, you know, I talk to a lot of, uh, I'm very, very blessed. I get to talk to a lot of really heavy hitters and you should, I was just before I got on with you, I was working on my, um, list for March. I got a killer March coming and, uh, which let me, let me double check something. Yes. You're among the greats in March. So. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. I'll be listening anyway. So yeah, but thank you for including me. But I just want to say that, uh, you know, there are certain guys that I, especially that are kind of new in the business that I want to follow and anything I can do to help. I, uh, and you're one of those. So Wonderful. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it so much. We'll stay in touch. Absolutely. Once again, thanks to Ted. Don't you wish him great luck? And this book, Every Hidden Thing, trust me, you read it, you're going to love it. Now, next week, I have been admiring this guy from afar for a very, very long time. People Magazine calls him the master of the ticking bomb suspense. My good friend Meg Gardner says he writes probably one of the most detailed outlines as, as he's preparing for a new book of anyone she's ever met. Jeffrey Deaver is his name. Yeah, you've heard of him. And the final twist is the book that I'm reading. Uh, we may cover this book. We may cover another one. Who knows? But Jeffrey Deaver, New York Times bestselling author on this show. <laughs> oh, man, I am geeked. All right, I'm David Temple, and I'll see you next time right here on The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.